0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your
1: personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: How oh, things? Good.
1: How are you? Uh, um, how's at the Garvin this morning? It's absolutely lovely out here. It's so nice. Jesus, man, the car these days just—I um, just—I uh, I find myself just looking, going out to the car and just being just being amazed,
0: you know. I know. I, I, to answer, I find it mad. Like for years, of growing up here, the car was just the cura. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just what's so good about the car But when you've nowhere else to go and you actually get to go walk around it, you actually appreciate it a lot more. It's it's lovely. Yeah, Especially yeah. When the sun is out, I think it just makes everything nicer.
1: I, I think the curry wasn't even in, uh, on my, wasn't even part of my life. It was just that bit of grass out there, out there all of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Now, now, now it's like, oh my God, the cura, I love you. I'll sit, <laughs> sit on a bit of a hill and just stare out at the, at the green. Uh, I'm going to just turn off my camera just so we get good. Uh, yeah, I can do the same. Yeah, just, just to make sure the, the audio is good, if that's all right. Yeah. Stop the video. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's essential like your breakfast It will get you up and going Learn some things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle Or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast yeah. Good morning, good day Whatever time it is, good night where you are. Uh, it is half past eleven here in Newbridge, in County Kildare. It is the sixteenth of April as I record this, and um, yeah, it's unusual that I would be recording or putting up a podcast on a Friday. But had a bit of time, and I had recorded this podcast already, uh, but we had to um, re-record it. So this is the re-recorded, uh, much improved, fifty percent better. Uh, chat with Niall Hurdy Lynch um, and so I'm going to put it up now because it was it's gone now the the old one putting up the new one there was a lot of interest in it um, and I think what Niall talked about resonated with a lot of people and I think uh, it's important that we uh, that we we have these conversations Um Niall how would I describe him to you if you're not from Newbridge he uh, is a footballer Gaelic footballer he plays for Moorfield here in Newbridge there's two teams in Newbridge there's Moorfield Sarsfield. there's a bit of a rivalry which we'll get into and explain Um, he is a fitness instructor you can follow him on Instagram it's NHL Fitness and he does uh, lots of different things like uh, he's he's into some uh, personal training stuff and also he does some workouts with his his young lad Harry which are uh, entertaining and fun and great, they were great during lockdown as well, and he raised a bit of money doing that kind of thing and other things on his Instagram page. Um, He was a very successful footballer. Um, He gives the details. I don't have the details in front of me, but he won many championships, seven, seven senior championships, uh, two Leinsters, and uh, also got to the final of the under-21s All-Ireland Final, uh, won the Leinster, with the under 21s kildare team and got to the final beaten by a carry team as he, he mentioned so quite an um quite uh the footballer very talented um could he have played senior for kildare should he have possibly who knows that's what we're here to discuss and uh yeah at the start of the you know in the first lockdown he was in a treatment center called coon in a Uh shout out to the people there and. Uh, um they do they do amazing work. Um I will at the end of this chat give you a number or you can find it I'm sure uh Pieta House. I think it's a fairly hand, handy number. I think it's like uh eighteen fifty twenty four seven twenty four seven twenty four seven. Actually let me just look it up now while, while I'm while I'm here. Accept all excuse me now. Uh, call free. So if you just go if you just Google Pieta House it comes up and you can actually just press a button it says call free. It's eighteen hundred twenty four seven twenty four seven and that's for Pieta House. Uh if you if you're thinking if there's stuff going on and you don't know who to talk to and you want to talk to someone straight away, talk to them, uh you can contact me as well. You can email me. Um my email is Keithwatchpod at gmail dot com and I can we can have a chat, and I can pass you on a name of or a number of somebody if you don't quite need to house, but you just want to talk to somebody, like a regular, like a therapist, and you know get some regular chats going uh, to get to get in touch. Anyway, that's enough banter for me. Um, without further ado, let's crack on with episode. I think it was episode ninety three or ninety two. Uh, I'll have to find out. It, it doesn't matter. My guest is Niall Hurley Lynch. Um, and thanks to Nile for being so honest. Enjoy. <laughs> um, I I must I knew I was going to be chatting to you today, so uh, it, for the first time in a while, I took out all my home gym equipment. So I have these like, can't even I don't even know what they're called. You know the ones this are the suspension straps or whatever you t- you you hang them oh over, yeah hang yeah. them over the door and then you do your like your whatever your pull ups and your press ups or your suspension squats or whatever. Um, actually quite handy. Yeah, they're very handy, but I had I had them down in the shed and then I took them up and I've been I've been dabbling in a sort of a, you know, a quick 20-minute workout in the morning. So I've got a big uh, 20 kg, uh, what do you call I <laughs> don't even know what they're called. The disc weights, what are they called for your barbells? Uh oh, the plates. A plate, yeah, I've got a 20 kg plate. So I'm doing like uh, ground to overheads yeah. and... Uh, <laughs> A few uh, a few suspension squats. And what else have we got? I've got a kettlebell there as well. So I'm, I'm doing some... Uh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing with the kettlebells. Yeah. Anyway,
0: you must have been on my, I must have been feeling guilty now. <laughs> well, for me, a personal trainer, um, obviously the gym's closed and I'm not working out with the gym at the moment. All I have is a kettlebell. So I have manipulated that kettlebell every way possible since January.
1: Yeah, you found new—you found new ways of using the kettlebell you didn't know existed.
0: Exactly, yeah. Uh, I was trying to be creative to keep me going. You gotta be—that's
1: the way to do it. Um, this is uh, historical because obviously, you're. We should tell people uh, we're both from Newbridge. We're we're both kind of living quite close to each other. We don't. We don't.
0: I mean, we don't. We've never met, neither have we? Um, no, like not. Like, we—I would have been in industrial fitness a few times. So oh, okay. But we've never stood and have a conversation. But no, I don't think we have. Well, I feel like I would have said hello to you then. Oh, we probably had have said probably said hello, um, when we were trying not to die doing the workouts. But <laughs> um, yeah, like I don't remember us ever having a proper conversation or being introduced. To it. But
1: I think it's funny because your, I mean, your face is familiar, and I was just thinking well, maybe that's just the football. And then and now that you say it, I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe that's who you are. Ah, I'll have you now? <laughs> I was the ignorant guy who just came in, well, got it done and got out. Of <laughs> I, uh, I got a message from a lad. Um, this will tell you now. Uh, about six, seven, eight months ago, and he just messaged me out of the blue. <laughs> it was funny because he was like, "I just wanted to message you because I used to go to the gym with you in industrial fitness, and I thought you were a prick." <laughs> 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 I thought you were just an ignorant prick, and I don't know what, how he found out that I wasn't. But he was like, "I've since discovered you're not." So I just want to apologise. Uh, <laughs> you're a sound lad, and I was like, "All right, thanks very much." But but you know yourself if you're in the gym, you're just kind of like you're not not that you're not there to make friends, but
0: you're kind of like I'm generally dreading what's about to happen. Oh, Hunter, especially with those kind of classes as well. It's you just don't know what's coming, so you just want to get it done. So. Ser- yeah, and I, I wouldn't be great now, because it's funny you say that. I've actually been in a couple of situations. that would have been, say, after parties or something like that, and I wouldn't have been mixing, say, with the GAA crowd. You know, it would just be people from New And I get the same thing. I always thought you were an absolute arsehole. I was like, sorry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just presumed you are an arsehole. You know, you thought you walk around the town and you wouldn't really be talking to too many people. I'm like, I have things to do, you know. I'm not going to stop and talk to you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't know these people, but it's just kind of they just build up this persona or this idea of you. And I've gotten that a few times, like, yeah, I just thought you were an artist. Like, well, thanks, I'm not. But yeah. okay. <laughs> it's
1: funny to get a message out of nowhere. I thought I always thought you were <laughs> Um, and I think, <laughs> I think I uh, think a lot of it comes, I would be, I, I, and I'd say you're the same, like, and it, this will probably sound mad to people, but I would say I'm a bit of an introvert. I would, I was a bit of an introvert and, and quite shy. And I wouldn't presume that people would know who I was. So I would kind of like keep the head down or I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be saying hello to people or making eye contact or whatever, you know,
0: uh, I, I'd imagine you're, you're the same now. There, you yeah. It's actually funny. And people probably don't realize it. Like a lot of the time, say, even in the White War or walking through Newbridge or in Tesco's, if I see someone that I know, and I know they're going to want to come and it's not me being rude. It's that introvert. I'll kind of take a different aisle or, go a different route you know Mm. and it's just that kind of that initial kind of I I don't want to have this guy I don't want to have a conversation and they probably don't even know me they probably don't even want to stop and have a chat it's just (laughs) (laughs) it's whatever it's what
1: I I I think I'm I used to be the same I'm a lot different now since uh I since I started going to therapy and uh, all that kind of stuff I'm a lot more I find I'm a lot less worried about what that conversation might be or you know I'm a lot less guarded or nervous or um, you know because a lot of the time for me it was always like oh what if I say the wrong thing or what if they think I'm a dickhead or what if they don't want to talk to me you know and, and it's all these things going on in your head uh, this this mad fucking <laughs> constant conversation in your head which just is insane
0: yeah that's like it's same. like I, I go to counseling every week as well and my head has just slowed down an enormous amount, like you said, those mad conversations. Like dude, it got to a point, in my I, I wouldn't have wished my head on my worst enemy because it's like a, a this story. I remember someone telling me this story where you you think you're going to go in and ask your your say your neighbor for a loaned lawnmower, but in your head he, he's busy or he's using it or you go in and he asks you for it, you get into a row and then you knock on his door and before you know it, you just have to fuck off and walk off because you're after having five conversations. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i've had rows with people in my head and fallen out with them and ne- never even met them oh i'm, ter- <laughs> I'm terrible <for> it. <laughs> yeah i need a lawnmower but i'm not going into that prick to ask for because he'll just think i'm you know i'm useless for not having a lawnmower and you know. um can, can we we should start at the start and i, I want to ask you about your uh let's start with the football first of all because if anybody knows you um and a lot of people who listen to this won't know you but uh People from Newbridge around this area, Kildare, will know you as a footballer first and foremost. Can you tell me about your, uh, just to get it out of the way, uh, like accolades, things you've won, achievements in the, in, in, in football? And, um, I, and, and I just want to give give people a little bit of a picture. Um, because you, so you played with Moorfield.
0: How, yeah, so, how so I've, been, I've been with Moorfield my whole life and would have had an okay kind of underage. But I suppose I came into Moorfield when... A lot of the older lads, um, Philly Wolf, Paddy Murray, Rolly Sweeney, had kind of changed, changed the whole mindset of Morfield. Now, look, there's a lot of work went on in underage and there's a lot of great people at Morfield, but they were kind of would have been the, the, the players, say, say, from 2000, that just changed the mindset of Morfield. Like, Sarsfield would have been the main team in Newbridge and Kildare. Um, we would have been their poor neighbours for a, we, a long we,
1: time. We should say at this point, we're rivals. I'm Sarsfield, <laughs> Niall is Moorfield. Carry on, Niall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so um I I kinda come on to the scene, the senior scene in two thousand and five and I won my first championship in two thousand six. Uh, I've won seven senior championships since then and we've won two Leinster clubs um at senior level. Um I would have won a, a Leinster under twenty one with Kildare as well. We were actually beaten by a very good Kerry team in the All Ireland final. Um that likes so a Tommy Walsh and David Moore and Keelan Young and all on that team. So, yeah, I, I've been quite lucky um, to be, you know, involved with a club like Moorfield, um, who kind of you, you're at the business end of championship every year. Um, and I often wonder, you know, how lads and kind of smaller clubs they can keep coming back year after year because we're lucky with we a big pool to pick from. Now, it, that's not the only reason we win. We work hard. We train hard. Um, but I, I, I do. I am aware of how lucky I am to be involved with a club like Morphy and have been so successful but it, it, it's kind of mad that, <laughs> even though some lads would just one senior championship would do them the older you get and the more the further you get into your career and the closer it comes to the end I'm starting to look back on the championships I've lost, the ones we've left behind and um, how close we were to get to an all Ireland final and could we have won it, you know what I mean, it's it's crazy Well that's where
1: people like you and the likes of uh, Roly Sweeney uh, come into play because as you get a bit older and hopefully you'll, you still have a, a good few years left and you're playing but as you get older you become influential within the club and then and then you have the knowledge of where maybe you could have won something and you didn't and why you didn't and you bring that back to the club don't you, it's full circle really
0: Oh, it is. And we're, we're lucky in Murphy. A lot of the senior lads would help out at underage, in the underage structure, bringing lads through. And like our last management team, that was all former lads I had played with. And our current management team, it's all lads I've played with. So like that, we're learning from their experience. They would have been involved in teams that left Championship behind, left Leinsters, left All-Irelands behind. So. Like that, it's it's just, it's that experience and it's, it's constantly being pumped back into the club and we're just using that knowledge and that experience to kind of hopefully push forward.
1: Um, And I just want to mention uh, Ronan Sweeney once more because I, I can only imagine what he's like as a trainer uh, on the pitch and as a player because I once found myself, do you know the way you go into industrial fitness and you might be paired up with somebody? <laughs> um, I was paired up with, <laughs> with Ronan and, and uh, like I would have thought, I would have said i was fairly fit and i was fit at the time so it was okay you know i was a, I was a kind of able for it but like he's, we started doing these we did our first round of uh of stations you know and on yeah. the second round of stations he turned around to me he said we're not fucking working hard enough here we're fucking. <laughs> and he started he said we're fucking pushing this on now keith we're, fucking, we're doing this properly <laughs> So he starts fucking going like the clappers on every station and then like, you know, because we were doing these like sort of like short, uh, I don't know, 20 meter sprints and back and, you know, he was fucking, he was tearing into it but he was also trying to get me to do it as well, you know, I keep up the pace and he's like super fit and I was, uh, geez, the man nearly killed me and I was just going down to the gym for an old workout. <laughs> uh, I wasn't looking to win a championship.
0: Yeah, but I think that's him in every, and that's, I, I'm not sure if that can be taught or that can be instilled in everyone. And that's just kind of, that's a perfect example of who he is. I remember years, they do circuits up in the Car gym every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And I went up, it's a good, it's a good few years ago now, and it's, it's the exact same story. And obviously I knew Roley very well. We have played together for years. And so we got chatting and we, we went to the same station. But like that, he said to me from the very start, let's fucking see who gets the most on every station here. You know, everything was a competition. <laughs> and, and I know from, like, he was obviously, he wanted me to push him on, but he was dragging me with him. He wanted me to really push myself. Yeah. And But that's, that's him, you know, it, Roley's very, he's very intense, but he wants the best. It's just his competitive edge. Stefan I, I, Roley, we've fallen out a few times now on the pitch. and um, you know a training? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's great to fall out with Rowley from 15, 20 yards away, but the closer he gets, the bigger he gets. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind, of, you're kind of hoping someone will get in between you by the time he gets to you.
1: Yeah. And the fact that, <laughs> the fact that he kept playing until the age of 65 was testament to his, <laughs> his fitness, you know. Um, but, yeah, we, I should explain a little bit to people as well that, so Sarsfields are one side of the town, Moorfield are the other side of the town. The town is split between uh, sort of from the post office, Station Road, and then you've got Moorfield out to the Curse side, uh, the race course side, and then um, the, where the bridge is and the river is. That's kind of all Sarshaies traditionally. Um, now, I know a good few people who would have come from the other side and played for Sarshaies and vice versa. Um, but so so if if the two teams are in the... It's, it's, a, it's a great great rivalry, and it can be a bit hairy at times. But when, when the two teams are in the championship final together, the flags go up all over the town. Sarshaies are green and white, Moorfield are green and white. <laughs> so it's just green and white <laughs> the two rivals are the same colors now Sarses have a sash so you can distinguish the flag uh, and Morfield are just the, the the regular green and white but uh but there was um there was one year uh, and I was playing hurling with Sarses at the time and I remember being at training and we were doing laps and I remember coming around and running past the selectors and running through their cloud of cigar smoke <laughs> on my on my sixth lap nearly dying uh and they said uh and I just overheard them talking about uh that there somebody had put Moorfield flags on the bridge, which is the like the bridge is Sarsfield. Someone put the Moorfield flags up one year. And I remember them saying all in all earnesty, in all earnest, honesty and earnest. It's two words. I put them together, earnesty. Um they said uh, said there'll be a body in there'll be a body in the river over this. And they were dead serious. <laughs> that's
0: that's yeah. that's the way the rivalry is. Yeah, the it's 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 passionate, it's and it's through every age group. Um, I think it's a bit stronger in the older generations, but it, it's very strong and there's no point in denying it. I, I, remember, I remember the whole flag saga. Um, flags ended up in the river. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that. Now, I know Moorfield's argument was the, the Moorfield kids are in the schools down there, because the majority of the schools are down that end of town. Yeah. But look, I can understand both sides of the coin. Um it shouldn't be a massive deal, but it's it's that tribal, and it means that much to people that it's like no one wants to give an inch, you know. So our flags being down there, they'd see that as a sign of weakness. So we're not we're not giving up our territories, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that's how serious it is. Um, and as soon as you get onto the pitch, there's, there's no love lost, no matter how close you are to someone. It's just it's hell for leather, and you're winning at all costs. But you know,
1: like you went, you would have gone to school with the Sarsis lads, like so. When you're playing, either in the league or the championship or the semis or the final, like it's like you'd know a lot of the guys you're coming up against. Your marking, wouldn't you?
0: Oh yeah, like you'd be close friends with them. You'd be drink- like I lived with two. I lived with Ray Kahal and Matty Byrne for a year, and um, there was two Morfeel and two Sarsis lads in the house, and. Um, so, you'd be close to them. You know, I grew up very close with Chalky White and John Geraghty and a few lads like that. So, But, look, those lads have hit me. I've hit them um, on the pitch. And it's just part and parcel. You know yourself. You've played Hurling against Moorfield, and I'm sure you know those lads. But, no, I think that the Hurling... I've watched a few Hurling games. They can be a bit more vicious, especially at junior level or intermediate level. But Christ, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just... But I think it's good. I think these days we might not all, not everyone will get on, but you're going to get that in every town, but you can have a drink after a game, and you can have a laugh and joke about it, but once you're on the pitch, there's no there's no friendships, really.
1: Yeah, I do remember playing my first time, because I was a blow-in. I come from Westmead originally, and I moved here when I was about 15, 16, and, and I didn't play with sarson's at all. I I, I didn't really play football i always played hurling as a young lad and there was no hurling in newbridge when i arrived but then eventually they start up a team and i was kind of late 20s 30s early 30s and i, and I, and I joined up with Sarsus. but i'll never forget the first time we played moorfield because i was totally oblivious to the, the fact that there was a rivalry <laughs> i was just sitting in the dressing room you know and the next thing and the, the whoever was one of the young lads who never spoke up before before a match and never said and you know he wasn't the he wasn't the he wasn't the, the manager. He wasn't the captain. He just got up out of his seat and he started ranting and raving. And he said, this is fucking Moorfield. This is Morfield. We're not letting them come down here to fucking Sarsfield, Sash Park or whatever. And he just, I was going, who the fuck is this guy? Where did this come from? Who, who are Morfield?" And uh, literally the, uh, from that moment, I was like, holy shit. The uh, like the crowd on the sideline wanted people dead. Uh, like I'd say, if someone snapped their hurl in half and stabbed someone, it wouldn't have been enough for them. Uh, you know, it was just I was like, what the hell is going on? It was a cauldron. It was like it was. I was. I felt like I was playing in a El Clásico.
0: Yeah, and it's like <laughs> <laughs> it. It doesn't matter if it's a league game, a pre-season cup game. The, there'll always be a massive crowd, and it yeah. always, no matter if one team is winning by ten to fifteen points, it's intense until the very last second. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's madness.
1: <laughs> it's mad. It is. It's murder ball, literally.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh,
1: I mean, that's and that's, that's the Sarsfields Moorfield uh, rivalry. But you, did you always play with Moorfield? Do, do, <laughs> do, do you have a secret you want to reveal
0: here? Yeah, I suppose I'll get it out to, Yeah, I, had, I would have been in primary school with a guy called Frank Delaney. Um, and I've been up and I've been up in Moorfield since I was three or four. Um, but... Yeah, for me and Frank were very close friends, and we hung out nearly every day after school. And he was Sarsfields, and um, he'd be related to the Nolans, who are a big, big Sarsfields family. Of course, um, yeah. His mums and Nolans. So he dragged me to Sarsfields. Um, it was actually, I actually think I can picture back. It was '94 because I got a plaque. He used to do Player of the Month or something, and I, I was there for a month, and I got Player of the Month, and uh, I, I was dragged back to Morphy's. <laughs> Very
1: quick. Right, <laughs> which which are, which are notions. Yeah. Um, so tell me, are you are you Newbridge then? Like, are you born, bred, and buttered Newbridge?
0: Yeah. So I'd be. Uh, um My dad is Dublin, um, and all that side of family are Dublin. So I I was two when we moved back to Newbridge. But my mum would be Park Murrah Her whole family, she was born and bred in Newbridge, and um, so I've uh, I, I, I'm I'm a Newbridge man. You know, I wouldn't be a dub. I wouldn't class myself as a dub
1: and uh do you um do you remember football do you remember becoming uh an important like obviously when you're young lads just going along with what your friends are doing or whatever do you remember a time where football started you start realizing you were good at it or became an important part of your life
0: um yeah so like i always played football you know from like i guess my mom said i was playing with footballs before I could walk that's all I wanted to do but out in the green kind of where I lived there was there was three guys kind of the same age as me right across the road one house after another and all we did after school was play football um, and I was obviously training with morphine and stuff like that from a young age but I kind of when I the community games is the first thing that comes back to me and um, I would have been seven or eight and I was playing with the under tens. And I just kind of progressed and I would have always been one of the strong players. Um, And it just kind of stemmed from there. And I'm like, Dad would have been fairly influential, but maybe a bit over the top. You know, it would have been a lot of focus on how good I was or how good I was going to be. And I had to, I had to be the reason the team won. So it would have played a big part of my life from a very young age. and, And I would have been quite one of the stronger kids at my own age group. But... I suppose my dad kind of drove it on, um, for me to be, you know, it was always driven into me that you know, practice, practice, you're going to be the best, and um, so it's it's always been there.
1: And did you did you uh, like do you remember at the time? Because I know my own young lad, like if, if I uh, I was training his soccer team. And we used to have a lot of rows about, <laughs> about, <laughs> about training or matches or, and I was probably, I mean, not, when I said probably it was, I'd say it was all down to me. I like, I stepped away from it because I thought this, I, he doesn't, this kid does not need me training. And I just can't handle my emotions here. yeah
0: um, Was it welcome or was it a problem? Um, it was welcome. Um, I suppose constantly being told I was great probably made me feel good. Um, mm. Constantly being told I was the best. And it was probably to my detriment really, really. Um, as the years went on, um, because you're not always going to be the best, you're not always going to play the best, and you can't always be the reason the team wins. Um, but I suppose I always wanted to be. So if, if at the time, I probably enjoyed it, but um, after like my da- mum my and my dad separated, uh, my dad moved back to Dublin, and he, li- he actually lives in Kerry now, so obviously he wasn't as involved or as influential in my football as, as I started to into my teenage years. So it's kind of, it was, it was welcomed at the time, but it probably was unhealthy. Um, and it's interesting. I actually involved, i involved with my son's team. And um, they're only the under sixes. More so. I just, I, I, brought him up when he was three or four when he started playing school. And I, I kind of, because you know yourself when you play with a football and you're on the sideline, everyone's like, all the other mentors, right? Your help. So yeah, I, kinda, I I stayed out. I stayed out of it for as long as I could, because um, I just wanted him to go enjoy it. But I got involved. Um, but he, they were playing a blitz, you know. And there's no real rules at that age. It's just throw up a ball and make sure no one kills each other and yeah. let them have as much fun. <laughs> he scored a goal, and I, I'd be kind of known for celebrating, you know, on the county grounds <laughs> <laughs> um, in front of the hill, whether there's three people or three hundred. <laughs> And he ran around the pitch like a lunatic and ran over and jumped into my arms. And I remember the selector looking at me, He's just, and our physio was there at the time and they're just shaking their head. Like the apple doesn't <laughs> fall far from the tree. <laughs> oh.
1: But that's brilliant though. That's fucking, uh, you know, we, we, I, it, it's one thing about GA, like we, we, you know, you always have to sort of almost contain yourself if you, if you score. And, uh, you know, I think that, that sort of, um, you know, over the top jubilant should, and, uh, you know, enjoyment should be encouraged. Um, and uh, so do you think, that so what was, what were you like as a young lad then, as in, so outside of football, uh, um, do, do you think you're, like, was there, when your parents split up, did that affect you? Did you, what was else was going on inside of football that was sort of uh, informing how you behaved yourself or, you know, what you did or, you know, um, how you behaved in school or, you know, were you a good lad? Or were you?
0: Yeah, so like I, I to be honest with you, I would have been pretty good in school, um, but I didn't have to pay a lot of attention. So I could always be bold and be cheeky and, you know, get up to mischief and still do enough to get by. But I suppose being a footballer, even in primary school, it got me out of a lot of trouble and it kind of taught me kind of a, like you know to get myself out of trouble. But I, I, there would have been a lot going on, you know, my parents splitting up and eventually getting divorced it, it, it that hit me hard now it hits it hits every kid in, in different ways you know I would I wasn't the first kid to go through it but I suppose at the same time it happened and um, I, I don't mind talking about this because I actually talked about this at a, a, at a meeting before there's about 40 men and when I spoke about it four other men stood up at the end of the meeting and said it happened to them so I kind of find it's, it's a good thing to talk about Um. So the time, my, my parents, they, they would have, it just wasn't a good marriage, you know what I mean? I'd, look, it's no one's fault, these things happen. They, they, they would have fought a lot, but there was one period where they were. it got really bad. You know, there was a lot of fighting in the house. Um, and look, we were kept out, it was nothing got to do with us, it was just arguing. But at, at this time, I would have been sexually abused, um, and... At the time, I didn't really know what was going on. I knew it was wrong. Um, and it, it would have been by someone who I trusted an awful lot. Um, and it, it kind of, it took away my trust in everyone. And I don't really trust, it, it's mental. I try to force myself to trust people now to my debt, and it doesn't work. And um, we can talk about that later on or something maybe. Yeah. But um, I, like I said, I was abused. And it was in a house, I uh, won't say where it was or who, who did it, um, that's for a different kind of conversation because I know other people were affected. But in my head, I, I kept going to that house because there was other kids there or around the estate that hung out at the house. or And I used to think by going there, I could protect those kids. You know, I used to think calling for them and going out and playing would keep them safe or if I was there, nothing else would happen. Um, mm. But uh, at the same time, like I said, my mom and dad, they eventually separated. And I remember, it was t- I'm, I'm almost sure as my dad said to me um, after, um, look, you don't have to worry about coming home from school or after school now. Um, mommy and daddy won't be fighting in the house anymore. You can feel safe coming home. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I thought that the only reason they broke up is because I didn't want to come home and they were doing it so I could come home. And that killed me. And it's only something I spoke about last year and uh, with my mum um and my family. Um and because of that then I I developed a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. And I thought I thought they all blamed me. I thought the whole family blamed me for it, and they didn't. But I suppose back then and it was it's it's probably it's it's a cultural thing maybe. Um I just didn't know how to talk about it. And it's not that my mom and dad were closed off. I just took it as a personal thing. I took it it was my fault and from then on, I was just angry and upset. Um, if, if, it it t- it took it took its toll and it's had a massive effect on my whole life, really. As well, obviously, is that just the two events would be tough enough for most people, but when they kind of coincided, it made things, I suppose, extra hard. Um, and not dealing with them then for twenty years. Um, I suppose uh, I've gone to counselling over over the years. Um, for periods of time until I feel good and then I stop going. Um but I never I never dealt with the abuse. Um, I would have talked about the divorce and the separation but not in massive detail. Just enough to kind of get it off my chest but not really work on the issues surrounding it.
1: So you never really told anybody about the abuse until very recently.
0: Yeah, only only last year. Um like it, it kind of came out a couple of times with a couple of people uh, when drink was involved. But yeah. Um I would close off then after that. You know what I mean? I'd nearly deny it. I'd nearly say, oh, forget about it. I was drunk. Forget about that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about that. What are you on about? Um, but it's only really last year I, I properly dealt with those issues. Um, and like anyone, um, I just used everything I could to distract myself from nearly almost that day right the way through my life. You know, anything that kept me busy was welcomed in my life
1: really. Wow. I mean, it just, uh, it just goes to show how, you know, how much we need to be allowed to talk about things. And, you know, sometimes I get a little bit that it's too much, you know, too much talking. There's too much, you know, uh, people talking and uh, talking about this and traumas and all that kind of stuff. But, the point of it is that we need like what, what what you needed at that time was to be able to talk to somebody and tell them exactly what was going on. So you could deal with that and not carry it around with you for the rest of your life and have it affect you. And, and you know, and it does, it affects others as well, you know? And that's the whole reason why I encourage talking. I encourage therapy. I encourage like talking to somebody, anybody, you know, about, because, you know, I'm convinced now that, you know it's 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 you it's me there's other there's plenty of other men out there carrying things and trying you know trying trying desperately hard to live their lives but having that one or two things that they just can't talk about and they never talk to anybody about and that's dragging them down you know so this this is very helpful i'll i'll give out a number at the end of this and um, just for anybody that feels like they they, they want to talk um so if we fast forward a little bit a good bit. First of all, I just want to say I'm sorry that happened to you, man, because you know, fucking hell.
0: Yeah um, life is
1: hard enough, you know.
0: It is and it's to be honest with you, my whole outlook um was flipped last year. Um and I was able to, I'm able to look at things in a different way. Look, it, it's horrible and I know I know myself. If I if it didn't happen I would have been a different person growing up. Um, if, if it happened and I was able to talk about it, things might have been a lot different. I wouldn't have done things or I wouldn't have hurt people or I would have acted differently. But I'm not grateful it happened. But I'm grateful it happened to me instead of maybe my brothers or sisters or someone else close to me. If that makes sense. Because it didn't kill me. Although I've suffered a lot. I was depressed. I, I've... I've had suicide attempts. I'm still here. And maybe they wouldn't have been. So I'm able to kind of flip it a little bit, you know, if if that makes sense. I know it's probably some people are going to be like, what is he talking about? But it's nice to have a different outlook on life now.
1: Yeah. And like what I always say is like, like, you know, unfortunately, life is hard and shit happens and bad things are going to happen to you. You can't avoid that. That's not what anyone's trying to do. Like you're going to have stress. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to have really shitty things happen to you. That's life, but the point is that we need to build in. We need to find tools to help us deal with these things, which includes talking, which includes things like exercise, meditate, whatever it is, whatever your whatever gets you through. And and I, I agree with you. You know, you you do have to sort of think a little bit like a you know a someone who wasn't as strong might not have made it or might not have achieved the things you achieved while you were, you know, you you could think. Jesus, imagine what I could have done. And I sometimes, you know, find myself thinking, Jesus, imagine what I could have done if I didn't have to deal with that shit. And, but I, but then I'm like, wow, imagine that I achieved all that as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that, and that's, I was actually only, I was only talking to a friend of mine, um, Glenn Collins, um, before we came on. Um, and that's what he, like, that's what he said, you know, like, I would have had problems with kind of binge drinking and Taking drugs and stuff like that. And he said, he said, th- th- think about what you've achieved, even with everything that's gone on. Do you know what I mean? Uh, he, that's what he said. He goes, It's a good message for people out there, like, you know, someone else who, who might be struggling. Um, you, you still can achieve things. Just try to maybe get a little bit of help. Do you know? Totally. Can you tell me then? So,
1: say for instance, you're going along, you're doing your best. Uh, was there. So, so so you so you tell me you, you're in an all Ireland final with the under 21s, uh you're beaten by a good carry team. You're doing very well. You're on you know, you're on the radar, Kildare wise, you know, you're you're probably heading for the senior team or whatever. You're probably playing senior for Moorfield at this point. You're already winning championships. Like, did something happen? Do you think that like was there a moment where you just went, Oh, fuck this. I'm like, I'm not. I've been trying. Was there a moment where you just didn't do what you needed to do to step up.
0: Um, yeah, like uh, football was everything to me. Um, football and sport is everything to me, and it was it was just a distraction. I loved it. I still love it. Um, but it was a massive distraction. You know what I mean? Like I was playing sport all day, every day. You know, you could be training in school, after school, then going to club county training, and everything was going to plan in my head. You know, two thousand and five. I was only. 16 going on 17 and I was called up to the Morfield senior panel just the extended panel and um, the following year I was still a minor 2006 and I was actually starting for the Morfield senior team so I was starting for Caldera minors the Morfield minor club captain and starting for the Morfield senior team like things couldn't have been going better um and I was consumed everything I did I was it was based around football everything um you know, I went can I, to... T- can, I, can I ask you now, sorry, were you, was there any drinking going on at this point? Um, like, there would have been a bit of... Say, I would have done underage drinking. I'm not going to lie about that. But when I got to that stage, especially when the Clare minors, um, 2006, I stopped drinking. Um, and I know I was only a minor, like, do you know what I mean? But there was no kind of underage drinking. Um, it was my Leaving Cert year. I didn't go on the Leaving Cert holiday. Um, I went to two Debs. I didn't drink. And... Um, the derby around here, you kind know, of when you get to that age, it's, it used to be massive. I didn't go. Um, I was falling up with friends because we had well, a minor training or matches coming up and there we were going. And I was starting for the, the Morphling senior team. And we got to the county final that year. And I started the semi final. I actually played well enough. Um, well, I thought I did. And I was dropped. Um, and I remember Sauce he put me aside the night before to say, Look, we're going with. X, Y, and Z, but it hit me like a ton of bricks, um, and I didn't play. I didn't even come on in that game, but we won. Um, but I, I celebrated after the game on the pitch, and I went up to the club, but I was kind of sitting around. I wasn't really getting involved. And the next day, I just went up and went to college. I didn't, I didn't bother going down to Neeson's, I didn't really celebrate. Um, and we got back. We went on our Leinster run. Then I came on um, in the quarter final. I think it could have been a replay down in Wexford. And I started the semi final. One of the lads got dropped. He was, I think he was in college and he was out drinking or something, and he got dropped. So I started the semi final. So things were starting to look up again. Um, and again, we got to the Leinster final. Um, an unbelievable day for the club. You know, we we won. Um, we won the Leinster. We were only the second team in Clare to ever do it. Um, and it was massive for the club, but again, I, I got dropped for the final and I didn't even get a game. And I took it personal, you know, and again, I went up, we had our after we had our celebrations after the game and we went up to, I think we went to the Standhouse Hotel. And we used to be there on the Curra. Mm. We, we went there for a meal and we went back to the club. But I, I, I don't think I celebrated again on the Monday or Tuesday. And it was like, even though I was only a minor going up and Sos had given me my first chance. You know, he had broken me into the team. He'd given me all this experience. I wanted to be on the pitch when we won. And I suppose it's natural enough, but I took it personally. It was like I felt that I'd after giving it absolutely everything. I'd given up all that year. Um, my, my whole life, I thought, you know, it was all built to this point. But really, it was only the start of my career. But I saw it as I'd failed. And I think from then on... Um, and really, from that Christmas on, um, drink just, I, I think I, I just started partying and drinking. Now, it wasn't every day, but I, I used drink. It was like I had this fear of failure. Mm. So if I partied and if I drank, people would get the impression that I was the partier on the team and I didn't really care, but I still cared, but I had that s- scapegoat. So if I got dropped ever again, Gosh, like, ah, sure, sure, without partying, sure, who cares? You know what I mean? Football isn't the be all and end all, and it was like I was protecting myself from everyone else. Um, but it was kind of to my own detriment. And I'm, I'm very lucky up in Moorfield that the lads in Moorfield manage different managers, but especially the players, you know, they put up with a lot of crap for me. Um, uh, I've let them down, turning up drunk, or missing training, or missing matches. And um, just because partying kind of took over, and but it was never that I didn't care, and I kind of I, I was hurting myself. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. you'd be getting dropped for games, and then sulking, <laughs> and that was that was the that was the weirdest thing. You know, I I was missing a training session the week before a championship match. I wouldn't start the championship, match and then I'd sulk and I'd have I'd blame everyone else. You know, and I was creating a poor environment up there, um, and and it, it all kind of stems from that successful year for the club but I made it about myself
1: yeah but you can see you know you can see how I mean I'm not a therapist or a counsellor but like you know uh, you're fine uh, as long as everything's going fine and everything's going to plan and it's only when you hit crisis point and it wasn't a crisis you just got dropped from a team but to you that was a big fucking crisis you know this is ho- holy shit hang on a second this is you know that's and that's when you can't. That's when you don't have the tools to handle it. You know, because, uh, yeah. b- because of what's happened to you. Do you know what I mean? Because of what you've been through.
0: Well, I, I think that's. I think that's actually a very important point you made, there, Keith, Because I know for myself, I've preached, and I will call it preaching, because I wouldn't have always. And look, I've like helped people in the past, but I've preached about the importance of talking and getting help. But I know myself, and I think it's. I think it's common throughout Ireland. Um. Everybody's fine until the hip-hop bomb. A lot of people don't look after their mental health or even consider getting help for their mental health until they something happens. Mm. And it's something I do now. Is it's constant. Do you know what I mean? It's it's weekly at the moment, and it might go to two weeks or three weeks. But I'll always look after my mental health because I think it's it's important to not just do it when you're feeling down.
1: Yeah, and I think that for other men, women listening to this, you might think, well, I you know I don't really need us you know but you should be selfish you, you know you need to be selfish and look after yourself because you start looking after yourself you know and i and i i can see it now that i'm looking after myself and i can see how i am a better husband i can see how i'm a better father i can see how i'm you know i even said and this has been being brutally honest like i said to my wife who's who is brilliant like and like but I kind of—I don't know what it was the other day—and I said, and I said to her, "Do you know what I used to think? I think in the past I used to react to that, and I think that gave you anxiety around that, you know." And I was like apologizing to her, said, so "I, I think I was a bit of a dick about those kind of things, and that gave you anxiety, and that's why you're stressed now." And you know, and you're only you're only looking back at how badly you behaved, and and I'm only getting that because because of therapy, and I'm only getting that now because. I'm dealing with my own shit. And you have to, you have to be selfish. And, and like, if you, if you almost like do, be selfish, but also if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your wife, do it for your
0: kids, do it for the people around you. Oh, that like, that's massive. Like I look back now and because I was so angry, um, you know, the, the, my house, like even when the, the marriage was over, my house it, at times it would have been quite hostile and it would have been down to me. And um, so I would have caused anxiety in the house. And, um, in like I've had a a lot of relationships again because I used relationships as um, distractions Mm. you know Um, and I would have caused anxiety or stress in their lives because of how I acted and how selfish I was and again with anger and acting out and 100% I couldn't agree with you more like I'm a much different person now you know I, I react much differently in situations I'm much calmer no not always you know I can still lose the head. But um, I look now, I look at my son, and my son Harry, he's five. And I've always been there for him. But I'm a much better dad now than I ever was. And I'm creating creating a much better environment for him. And he is so much like he was like there was never like he was never wanted for anything, but I can see it and others can see it, how much happier he is now than say he would have been a year ago or two years ago. And he was always a happy kid, but he's just in a better environment. When he, do you know what I, If that makes sense. Yeah. Well,
1: you see, kids know that if you're, if you're playing a role, you're playing the role of dad it's different to you being present and uh, being there. You know, there's a, 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 I think it's helpful for people listening to know that if you feel like your child is angry and frustrated with you, it's because it's because they feel like there's not a real connection between you two. They feel like you're just, you know, not fobbing them off, but you're just doing what you have to do as a dad. And, you know, you're just getting, everyone's getting by, but they want, they want real interact. They want you to be real with them. Yeah. You know, they want to, you want to be present, having the conversation with them, genuinely interested in what they have to say and not just fobbing them off. And
0: there's a difference and kids pick up on that very, very easily. Oh, and you couldn't be more A hundred percent there because, um, it just like so, so, you know, I, I was sitting with my counselor there a few months back and he kind of you know this whole question, who are you? Do you know, who knows the really you? you know and there's no real answer to that. Mm. And we both came to the conclusion, like like obviously my brothers and sisters and my mom would know me really, really well, but there's probably no one in my life who I've ever been me, you know, one hundred percent me with, other than Harry. You, because I know I don't need to impress him. Just me being there for him is enough. And he kind of said, "Like, well, how is your behaviour different when you're with Harry than someone else?" And I'm just not afraid to be a big idiot when I'm with Harry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm a big child. I'm a big messer. And when we're together and we're alone, we're having fun. We just act the absolute idiot. You know, and I, I don't like. I'm not trying to impress him. I'm not trying to. There's no one looking through the window. You know, it's not for social media. It's just me and him being ourselves. And that's that's the important that that's it's it's so it's so good for kids to see that do you know what i mean that you, you're just there you're present and you're able to be yourself for them
1: yeah and also there's like you know like you could probably an amateur psychologist might say that you've probably been suppressing that side of you as the messer and the, you know the do you know what i mean in a way like and and because I'd be a bit like that. And I, I thought that the only way I could do that was if I had a few drinks and then I could just act the bollocks. And yeah, and, um, and it's interesting now that I haven't drank in a year, and a, nearly a year and a half. And I I, I like acting the bollocks, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with drink. It's just, I like taking the piss and um, being a bit of a fucking idiot. And, you know, it, like that's just who I am and I'm not suppressing that anymore. And it's not to do with drinking. It's not to do with, you know, how other people expect me to behave but that's that's you know that's the that's what you learn from going to a therapist from talking from all that kind of stuff 100 um so 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 you continue to play for moorfield and you know that's a, that's not a bad career um but is it, how long ago then did you end up it was only recently really uh, in, in, in your lifetime, you know, in the in the scheme of things that you ended up in the treatment centre?
0: So how- yeah, so, um, so 2000, I would have been kind of, advised, I, got, I did my cruise in 2015 and when I went back up for the, the, just to check up after, the advice to kind of, the surgeon gave me would be, I don't have long left, you know, you should probably retire um, but I, I was, I was eager to get back on the pitch and, Barry Keogh was the physio at the time and we did everything we could and I got back out and I got back very quick actually and 2017, 2018 um, were probably my best years personally and individually but as for the club it was massive and we won the this club the county championship and we went on and won the Leinster and then again 2018 we won the club championship again So my knee was in bits at the time Um, I was in a, it was very bad and my hips were getting sore and I kind of went to a different surgeon and his advice was retire straight away. But we were on such a good roll and I was kind of going well that I just kind of talked to the physio and Barry said, look, whatever we need to do just to keep me going. And in fairness to Ross Gavin, he was the manager at the time, he gave me a lot of leeway. Do you know what I mean? I was able to rest when I needed to rest and, you know, I was kind of able to peak for when I needed to peak and, but we, we kept it the run going. And 2019, um, we were going for three in a row with Moorfield. And it was my third time involved with a Moorfield team that was going for three in a row. And for anyone around there, it's not an easy thing to do. For any, any club, any county championship. But we were beaten by Sarsfields in the county final. And for me, I thought that was the end of the line, um, football-wise. um after what the surgeon had told us, we were after losing. It was my third time losing a three in a row. Um, my knee was very, very bad. Um, so I kinda, I walked off that pitch that day and I went out and I shook the manager's hand. I shook the lad's hand and I went out and I sat in my car and I just cried. And like, that'd be normal. enough, you know, people retire from club football every day. But for me, football was my whole identity at the time. I thought that's, that's what people knew me as. That's when I went into Neeson's, our local, um, when I got the pat on the back, is because I was morphy You know, I was a great lad and that's all I'd known for 20 years um, was football. Being known as the morphy lad who gets the goal here and there. Um, the kind of, the lad who celebrates in front of the hill. And this was all just gone in an instant. Everything I had done and i it hit me like a ton of bricks and I didn't really realize at the time, but I, it was kind of the start of a downward spiral for me. And um, I kind of, I started, not started, I was, I was drinking a bit more at the weekends or when I didn't have Harry. Um, and I always would have drank. Um, but obviously football gives that slight bit of discipline, even mm. though I'd, I had messed up at times, but it gave me more discipline and, Yeah, uh, just my behavior when I was drinking changed and my mood changed and it it started to affect all aspects of my life, work, personal, um, Harry, it affected everything. And that was kind of from October and in January, it all just came to a head and it wasn't just the football, it was what happened as a child and not dealing with it it was football, it was other issues and lots of other things and you know there was guilt from things I'd done my whole life Um, and one weekend in particular it all just came to a head and you know I had issues with seeing my son now look every kind of not every but a lot of mom and dads when they break up there's issues there about who gets them and when and things like that and it's all sorted now and it's all very amicable and Harry couldn't be happier. But obviously enough because I had gone through it as a child, it took its toll on me. So there was all these things going on at the time and just this weekend in particular, I suppose, the shit just hit the fan and I went on a binge um, drinking and taking drugs for three or four days and the Monday morning, um, I just woke up um, alone in the apartment I was living in at the time, and the apartment was just in bits. Um, and I was I was in such a dark place, and I remember I just I cried, I cried for hours, and I was at a point where I was either end it all or ask for help. It was like it was like my last, you know. You've gotten help before, now, but if you don't get it now, you know, you're know you not going to get through this. And So I, I contacted a good friend of mine, um, like I said, I was talking about it, Glenn Collins. Um, he'd been through his own thing, and he doesn't mind me talking about He'd been through his own kind of issues. And I just said, look, Glenn, I'm in a bad place. I need help. And fairness to Glenn, um, he got on to me, and he brought me to two meetings um, in Newbridge that week. And he got me into Coomera, Coomera uh, Treatment Centre in the Because at the time I just thought, "Not, no, this is you're only doing this because of drink and drugs. The only reason you're behaving like this is because you, you, when you drink you take drugs." Um, so it's, it's it's about a four or five week waiting list to get in there, because Glenn in fairness, he made a few points. He got me in within a week, and only for the fact I think I got in so quick. I think when the effects of the guilt and the shame of the hangover had worn off, I probably wouldn't have, I probably would have thought, you know what, I'm all right, I go see a counsellor every week and I'll be fine. But I sat down with my family, I explained to them what was going on, and it's it's it, obviously it hurt them. Um, I remember, I'll never forget, my brother dropped me down, and my mom and my sister stood at the door when I pulled away from the house. And I could see them crying, you know, um, and it, it broke my heart, but... You know, I said to my brother on the way down, how did they, how did it come to this? How did how did I end up here? And he just, he just, saying to me very calm, he just kind of turned to me and he said, look, Niall, you need help, you asked for help, and you're getting help. What's the problem? And when it's put to you that simple, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? That's all it was. Um, and going into Coonmurra, I happily say, for me, for my family, and for Harry, it's the best thing I've ever done. Um, and it's such an intense place. It's it's not an easy thing to do. It's a twelve week course, I suppose I call it. The first two weeks are quite hard. Um, you're kind of left in a de- in detox, it's called, because a lot of people um, arrive in drunk, um, and you know these are people, some people who would drink all day every day, you know. So the after effects of that can be quite strong. Mm-hmm. So you're all kind of left together, um, but. Uh, yeah, it was quite humbling. It was quite, yeah, it was very humbling, um, seeing all the different people that come in, and um, different age groups, different backgrounds. Because I suppose you know, when you walk through, even if you look at Newbridge, there there's a, there's a very strong homeless aspect in Newbridge at the moment, too, people who would suffer from drink and drug problems. And I looked down on those people for years, but. Uh, getting in there kind of taught me that no, no one's born like that you know no one wants to have a, a drink problem a drug problem a mental health problem everyone has a background and it all stems from somewhere so it was very humbling and grounding for me Um, you know I don't look down on those people anymore I don't look down on anyone um, but yeah Kunmar was very tough and I had full support of everyone in my life at the time my family were amazing um, and Harry, I got to see Harry. Uh, but you, you, you've you no phone, you've no mobile phone, you've no real contact with the outside world. You get one phone call a week. Um, because, you know, anything can set you off, you know, a row with someone or it can be enough to make you walk out. Mm. So it's probably, it's, a, it's probably a good thing. But we, we used to get visitors Saturday and Sunday from 2 to 6. But because of COVID, after five or six weeks, that stopped. So I went through the last six weeks without, you know, now, you, you, we got extra phone calls then um, but without seeing Harry um, but I, I think the competitive side of me and the sports background kind of dragged me through it um, because there's times I wanted to leave there's times I was upset but I kind of knew once and for all you know week three is when the week the work starts and I knew I, I just said you know, like, this is it you really need to sort your shit out and you need to leave everything down there and I did you know I, I did a lot of work on myself down there and um, and it is based a lot around drinking drugs but for me it was dealing with those issues from my childhood and everything that had happened up until that point that made me wanting to go in there was the key you know
1: yeah I mean the, the, you know it's like you say like the drinking drugs are just that's just a self-medication to help you to help you black out what's going in your head, going on in your head, and and uh, and it's you know to deal with the frustration of uh, of where you're at, and it's you know, and it's the same for myself. I look at somebody now down in the town, and I'm like, what, what, you know, I wonder what happened to you that, I, you know, you don't see the drink or the drugs anymore. You just see like this person going, "Jesus, what? How bad must it have been that you're in this situation?" You know, um, what. If somebody, because I think, I hope things are changing. And then, I mean, you're, gonna, you're still playing football, and but maybe you'll get involved in, in, in management and the club and all that. And, and uh, like what difference, what, what, what way, what would you have, what would have helped you at that age? Say, for instance, you're at an age where, you know, sauce has dropped you from the team. In your head, you're going, what's the fucking point? I've tried, you know, I've done everything I was asked to do here. I've been a good boy, you know, inverted commas. I've done, and that's the problem because you're, you know, you're trying to make sure you, you if you, you you know, and in your head, how it works is you're like, if I do X, Y, and Z, then that's going to happen. And then when it doesn't, you're like, you know, that's when everything just gets, you know, thrown out of the, whatever, the car. I don't even know what I'm saying, but, uh, so when you were dropped and that happened, do you think that some, something could have been done uh, if, it's, if someone had a word with you, what could have been said to you at that point to, to change the trajectory of your life,
0: you know? Yeah, um, of course there could have been. I suppose like there is that element of sport where um, you have to be able to kind of take these setbacks, um, especially in sport. Um, there's, there's a lot of setbacks. Um, but I think the, the support services maybe could be a little bit different. I know a county team is probably a bit better um, but some lads get dropped and they take it on the chain and they go away and work harder. It's just I suppose in my situation I, you know, it was the be all and end all. It was what mm. kept me happy. Um, so I suppose it would have been very hard for lads around the team or lads around the club to really understand why it was I was acting the way I was and I suppose I was probably never really asked why I was doing it. Now maybe you know a couple of lads might ring me. I have to be here this and say, no in a minute, I fucking asked you." <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, like, people would have gotten on to me, and people would have said, like, "You know, you cop on, like, you know, what are you doing?" But and I don't know if I would have opened up. But I suppose no one really ever said, that. Just, "Why are you? Why are you like this?" You know, you weren't like this the first year you were on the team. Um, but who knows? If it would have changed but it, it could have helped you know um, and I suppose I, I, I'd i be a bit more aware of it now you know with the younger lads we've we, a lot of young lads coming through now you know and you know you try to kind of keep an eye on lads who kind of, you know they might go missing or they might not be trying as hard or if they do get dropped you know lose the head yeah exactly you know I can kind of see a bit you know I see myself in a few of the young lads I look, they could be completely different. You know, I'm not there to fix anyone or anything like that, but I'd be a bit more aware of it, I suppose, than some lads. Mm.
1: I think it's just to not presume that. Um, like I can remember being a young lad and turning up for training and somebody, I remember one, one particular, you know, under 14 or something, some lad, one of the selectors saying, you know, I, don't, I hadn't done something properly. So he was like, do another lap. And I wasn't in a good mood that day. So I was like, you know, told him to fuck off and gave yeah. him the f- fingers. And, you know, and of course, in his head, he was just, I was just being a a little dick, you know? Yeah. yeah. But he didn't know what what, what, what I was dealing with. Um, and I think it's just to not presume. Um, it'd be great to get you. And I'd love to have yourself. And because in fairness to your manager at the time, Soss, he was, you know, he was, he was a great manager and did a great job and it'd be great to have that conversation with them just to not even to, cause it's, this is, none of this is ever about blame. It's just e- even, it could be therapeutic to have that conversation. And it'd be great to have the conversation on a stage, maybe in Moorfield sometime or SARS fields or somewhere in between and get some underage, you know, under 16s minors in to watch and have a chat about it. Because I think that you can, you can advise somebody and, and like your, your, you know, your, you know, your um, fellow teammates would have said to you, what's going on Will you cop on, you know, you you know, whatever you can try and help someone that way. But I think for young lads to see somebody talking the way you have spoken now on this podcast. So honestly, I think that that would be massive, massively helpful. I'd love to like have that conversation, you know, have have a few of you up on on the stage and, and talk about kind of that time. I think that would be helpful.
0: I think it'd be helpful for players and managers. Mm. You know what I mean? To maybe think, you know, it, it might be an eye-opener um, because you know, I think um, it's, it's a very results-based industry, we'll call it. And even, you know, you can see it at underage level, it can be taken a bit too far. Everyone wants to win. And some people, some of us can get caught up in it. Mm. Um, you know? Um, so, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, I think it'd be good for, not just Morphe people, for a lot of different kind of players and managers to kind of see how, you know, a conversation might go
1: do you know what I mean? Totally. I think I, I, and I think even this would be helpful because it's I think it's talking and, and people hearing, especially men talking about and being honest, like you were you are just now and you're being very honest. And uh I really think that 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 would help, you know, every generation, anybody listening to this. So like it's it's just it's testimony and um you know, fair play to you and it hasn't been easy and I know you've had your ups and downs and uh, uh, but like, I mean, this is, you know, it's, 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 you know, you're talking about being in Klunwura in during lockdown. So this is all quite recent and it's all quite new. So um, yeah.
0: yeah, like I, like, you know, I, I learned a lot in Clunwara and um, did a lot of work on myself and even since then, you know what I mean? Like just because you go through these things and you know yourself like you you you've you talked about therapy and stuff like that you're not you're not the finished article you're not just fixed um i've made mistakes since i've come out and um, so it's it's important you know for people to realize you know to, to help us out there to get help but it, it, it's an ongoing process you know you don't just go for a few sessions well, depending on who you are and you're not just fixed you know you're still going to make mistakes but i think once you kind of clear your mind a little bit, or once you're in a better place, you're able to deal with those mistakes or um, approach certain situations a lot differently and a lot better. And it just leads on to a better kind of mental health space because if you don't react, you know, if something happens and you don't react, then you're not just dealing with that situation, you have to deal with how you reacted as well.
1: Um, and uh, yeah, people as well, just to give you a mention as well, NHL fitness, is that what it's called? What you call on Instagram?
0: Yeah, NHL Fitness, so obviously I came out, I, I, I studied fitness back in, actually back in 2006 and 2007, and I kind of went away from it then, um, because you know, as I said, you know, I've been inspired out of control, and I've been in and out of different jobs and different careers, and um, I've been in the army, I went, then I became a qualified electrician, I'm back in the army now, and <laughs> so, but fitness is something I always loved, um, and it's kind of my way of, you know, helping myself. Um, but it's something I've been interested in and I, I can help other people and you know, through the page we've kind of, we've done I did a bit of work for, I did a few classes for kids in January and stuff like that, which was fun me and Harry were kind of the fitness instructors we had a bit of crack doing that and we've raised a few quid for charity as well like, you know, so it, it's good to be in a position to be kind of able to help people or just give back because I'm not sure, uh, it was suggested to me when I left Coomerage, you know, would you ever think we're going down the counselling route? And I was a bit sad. I I thought I would, but then selfishly, I was like, it probably wouldn't be the best idea for me, you know? Mm. So I said, uh, fitness might be the way, way to go for me.
1: And so sure that's kind of, <laughs> if you've ever been into any of the lads in uh, industrial fitness, sure, sure. They're all counselors anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they're all looking after our heads as well as our bodies. And you never know what's, what's down the line for you as well. Um, you know, never say never. Uh, Niall, we'll leave it there. Um, Appreciate your honesty and uh, you know, turning up and having a chat and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and best of luck with everything! Yeah, cheers. And, and...
0: Uh, up the sash. <laughs> <laughs> we might see each other at St. Connolly's Park soon, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> you give me an out shoulder in the gym the next time. Keith, <laughs> it was great to talk to you. And thanks very much for having me on. No worries. Thanks, Nile. Best of luck. Good luck. Bye bye.
1: There you go. That's uh, Niall Hurley Lynch. Thank you very much for chatting to me, Niall. I uh, Really appreciate it. And someday we'll have that chat up in Morfield or Sarsfields or at a neutral venue, maybe somewhere in between. Um, we'll uh, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll have that chat at some stage. But thank you very much for being so honest and open. Um, amazingly honest and open. Uh, I can't even get into all of the stuff that he he talked about, and it's not easy. Not easy to do that, not an easy thing to do, but it's important. Um, It's important to be vulnerable and allow yourself to be vulnerable, and that's where uh, all of the good stuff is. So once you start admitting you're not perfect, you've made mistakes, you've been wrong, you've had bad things happen to you, you've suffered, you've had shame. um, Once you start admitting those things and... Looking after yourself. That's the first step to looking after yourself, you know. Uh, that's where all the good stuff is. I guarantee you, I cannot stress that enough. Um, as I said beforehand, if you want to talk to somebody, if, if you if you really need to talk to somebody urgently, Pieta House, one eight hundred two four seven two four seven. 247 247 You can contact me here if you want a name or some names of uh, who might be, you know, good people counselor therapist um, and also if you're offering that kind of service and you want to get in touch with me and I'll give you a shout out on the next podcast and um, do get in touch it's keithwalshpod at gmail.com and um, if you're a counselor or therapist and you offer good service and maybe you're doing some discounts at the moment or something you know to encourage people that'll be great uh, give us a shout Keithwatchpod at gmail.com that is it for me uh, for this extra special Friday podcast podcast uh, do if it's your first time listening to the podcast do tell your friends about it do give us a rating do give us a written review and tell your friends about it and there is um, a, a contributor's um, I don't even know what it's called anymore if you want to donate money to the podcast which i'm trying to it's taking a long time I'm trying to save up money to uh, to make a cartoon We'll get it done um I was hoping to do it for the 100th. Episode. it doesn't look like we got it done that soon maybe we will maybe we will um so anyway uh yeah so you can you can make a contribution if you feel like it the money will be well spent and uh that's it thanks very much to acast uh, it is part of the acast network and i'll see you around take care we will keep doing this for as long as we can i think that's my new sign off mind yourself be good to you